interesting I'm sure now you know the reason for your grace growers and their identities and bless them they have a purpose in your life so do bear in mind that you will be on somebody else's grace growing list just leave that one to sink in for a moment so I'm, I'm sure I'm on a lot of people's grace growing list right now <laughs> I mean, I could see the activity going on and I felt mean breaking it up, but I'm saying to the Lord, what do you want to do, Jeff? Stop at quarter to three and start doing the Some of them are finished, some of them are done. Just do as you're told, okey-dokey. So at the start of each year, a good question is, Lord, what fruit do you want to grow in my life this year? Because pretty well all of your tests will come around that one. So it just helps you to be able to cooperate with what God wants to do. So if you get through the first two questions, you remember the questions that I asked you, um, am I reaping what I've sown, was one, wasn't it? And is it the cross at work, was number two. So question number three is, is this training for raining? Lord, are you using this to toughen me up in some way? Most often we're not on the battlefield, we're at boot camp, square bashing or going through manoeuvres, that's where we are. You'll know when you enter real warfare. Sometimes difficult situations are there because the enemy is involved, but it's still just a training ground. It's so important that we find out who is doing what to whom in the spiritual realm. It's not full-blown warfare, though it feels like it sometimes. It's training for reigning. Reigning in this life as well as the next. Sometimes we're crying out for deliverance and the Lord is saying, no, sweetheart, I've spent a lot of time and money and effort getting you into this situation and I'm keeping you in it. So let's go through it. He's well able to deliver us, but he wants us to learn something different this time. We have to learn that no matter what's going on, he is for us. In deliverance, he demonstrates his majesty. In a keeping situation, you will know his presence and his peace. If you want to live in the presence of God, you have to be present with God and live in all the ways that God presences himself. That will mean sometimes he's present in silence. And you just have to get used to sitting still, being quiet and waiting patiently. Sometimes his silence is just silence. He's waiting for you to settle down, sit, stay. If he doesn't answer initially, he will eventually. It's absolutely guaranteed. You just have to wait. I've had an instance lately where I had a, a dream and I asked the Lord for an interpretation and he gave one, but there was more to come. And you'll find it will continue to unfold. So you just have to keep waiting. Don't rush off with the first thing that comes to you. So sometimes he delivers you from and sometimes he keeps you in. You just have to go with his agenda and there is a power in weakness. He does not need our strength. He doesn't actually need anything we have. He is all-sufficient. If God calls you to a place of servanthood and anointing, he will make sure that all the rotten things in your life come to the surface so he can deal with them. So if you've got a lot of rotten stuff coming up right now, you can be absolutely certain that he's delivering you to a place of servanthood and anointing. He's always redemptive. Samson's hair grew back. Nebuchadnezzar came back into his right mind. David became a man after God's own heart. And the prodigal came home. In the battle we're in, God wants soldiers on the battlefield who are travelling with a level of purity and righteousness in their lives. You want to know that the people that you are lined up with are not going to run when the heat is on because their flesh is going to get the better of them. So it's a good idea to humble yourself before God and give yourself a holiness check. Don't go shining the spotlight. Let the Holy Spirit do it. Let him highlight what needs to be highlighted. Jesus said, The Prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. That's John 14, 30. 
needs to be an aim that we have that the devil has got nothing in us. First rule of spiritual warfare, can't take the ground from the devil if he's got ground in you. So take a holiness check, just for a moment, and I'm just going to ask, Father, would you take this opportunity while we're still to show us any areas you want to highlight right now, Father? A holiness check, Lord, in Jesus' name. Write it down, whatever you found. I can't help it. There is no ripping noise. My father used to say, don't tear it, I'll take a piece. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So whatever you do, don't despise your training ground. Speak to any athlete and they'll tell you that the medal isn't one on the track, it's one on the training ground. If you haven't put the work in, forget the medal. It's the one who's put in the hours of training before the race that will win the medal. And whoever hasn't will trail in last. Paul says to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. And sometimes we have to do just that. It's just that nobody ever told us when we signed up. So there it is. For some of you, what I've said so far may be coming as a bit of a shock, but as understanding comes, you'll love warfare, you'll love the battle, you'll love payback, you'll love walking in the opposite spirit, because it's what you've been called to. And your spirit man is just waiting to get on that battlefield and do some damage to the enemy by your reactions and responses to other people in adverse circumstances. Don't forget, that's where the warfare is. Your attitude towards people who are being horrible towards you. It's a place of peace. It's a place of rest. It's a place of joy. And it's a place of victory. Now we've got questions four and five, and they're both linked. Question four is, is this you? Is this God? And question five is, is this the devil? It's worth asking all five of these questions, because sometimes it's a little bit of each. So the next time you run into a circumstance, run those five questions before the Lord before you do anything else. And I want to talk a little bit about discerning of spirits, because again, like spiritual warfare, there's a lot of tosh talked about this in the, in the church. Discerning of spirits is a vital gift in terms of raising our spiritual awareness about the opposition around us in our life. And the gift of discerning of spirits is not primarily so that we can say that's a Jezebel. Because every gift God gives us is always focused on him. So the gift of discerning of spirits' prime focus is to tell you what is God and what is not. Is this God? Is this you, Father? We are not discerning demons. For goodness sake, let's have a better focus than that. The gift of discerning of spirits is that we know this is God. And we focus on him. And there's a lot of discerning going on in the body at the moment and it usually concludes that the spirit at work is Jezebel because we have misunderstood completely what the gift of discernment's all about. Yeah, Jessie's there. And she's doing her stuff. But primarily this is God. Yeah. <clears throat> it's primarily God what's happening all over in churches right now is God they don't go looking for the enemy because the territorial spirit you're up against is him <laughs> for whom the bell tolls for me so it's God and he's saying come in ready or not yeah the enemy is active too but this is God sorting his church out right now, so we have to get these things the right way up and discern who is doing what to whom. And the way to do that is to ask him, Father, what's happening here, please? It would be very helpful to know right now, rather than go around diagnosing evil spirits at work. It's just a thought. I mean, go for what he's doing, not for what they're doing. It's patently obvious what they're doing. I'm not interested in that stuff. 
When we discern that a situation is of the enemy or Jezebel, invariably we involve the people concerned and turn against them and speak against them, doing the enemy's work for him. We need to grow up in this whole thing about who's doing what to whom because it's vital in the context of true spiritual warfare that we don't shoot each other doing the enemy's work for him. People are not your enemy, no matter what they have done to you. The enemy is your enemy. You have no enemies but Satan. The rest you are commanded to forgive, love and do good to. Call him to account for what he's done in people's lives. An enemy has done this. God is redemptive always, particularly in his discipline of us. So doing it the proper way, if in this context you can't discern God, the next thing the gift will tell you is if this is human opposition or demonic. So the very last thing that we're left with by a process of elimination is, is the enemy. So slow down, ask God who's doing what to whom here and wait for the answer. We all make mistakes and I'm not excusing anyone, but in leadership we do not set out to lead people astray or hurt them. Please try to extend the same grace and mercy towards those who've hurt you in the church as God is right now extending to you in your bad attitude. Maybe the stink in the place <laughs> Joyce Meyer says is your attitude. Because sometimes we do have a bad attitude and we think that we're okay, you know. Because after all. Sometimes things happen and everyone is so quick to blame it on a demon or people. And sometimes you just have to know what is the hand of God, what is the hand of people and what is the enemy. So we need to know three things. If it's God, we need to submit. If it's people, we need to be gracious. And if it's the enemy, we fight. If you need to do business with God about what I've just said, then you know you just get on and do it right now. It's called repentance. Because your bad attitude will give place to the enemy. When we point a finger at someone else, they're always three pointing back at us. Don't forget the uh, story of the moat and the beam. I heard somebody of Graham Cooks the other day, did make me laugh. He said when they were working as, in, in team at Southampton and they had team meetings, they had an agreement that they would never criticise anybody. Uh, and if they ever heard any one of the other guys doing this, they would say, whoop, duck, here comes the plank, you know. <laughs> Sweet, whoop, swinging round there to hit someone. <laughs> so, hmm, watch out for that plank. Now the next heading I've got here is, what's the faith? I can't remember the name of the guy that did the teaching on it once when I was a very young Christian. What's the faith? It's so important in our own life that every one of us has a testimony about the nature of God living in us. That which comes out of your own experience of life, not someone else's. The loving kindness of God is from everlasting to everlasting. We learn to have faith not in the power of God, but in God himself. In his goodness, kindness, faithfulness and love. When we come into a situation, our cry needs to be, I know you. It's the nature of God to deliver people. It is the nature of God to help people. It is the nature of God to save people. It is the nature of God to love people. It is the nature of God to be redemptive. He is lovely. And it is the nature of God to show himself mighty on our behalf. You have to know what he's like and you have to separate out what God is in himself from what he is doing. He is consistent but he is unpredictable. When I said this to my son the other day, his head came round like it was on a piece of string. What do you mean? Because I'd obviously said something that frightened him. I said, well, God's, you know, um, consistent but he's unpredictable. What do you mean? I said, well, you never know what he's doing. Oh, that was all right then. <laughs> I think he thought, well, he might be taking a sword at me in a minute, being unpredictable. Yeah. You always know where you are with God, but you don't often know what he's doing. 
I am the Lord, I change not. If he changes, we are in for trouble. Because he might decide he doesn't like us very much tomorrow morning and we'll all go, that'll be that. He changes not. You know, one of the things that I'm going to be able to say with absolute certainty about the church not going through the tribulation is because of God's nature and because of the way he's done things in the past. He does not judge the righteous with the wicked, is the message. He never has. He never will do. Because he doesn't do that. He saved Lot and Noah because they were the righteous. Doesn't do it. So anyone who says the church is going through the tribulation, which is a time of God's judgment on the earth, suddenly he's changed his nature. Might never know what he's going to change his nature about next then. You need to know these things. Because these are the enemy tactics he'll get in. You know. Well perhaps you can lose your salvation. Maybe you have got to work for it. Oh, need to know these basic fundamental things and be sure of it and be able to tell people why you're sure of it to and point to the scriptures we do have to have the Hebrew slant on things or we will not understand it because their way of thinking is completely different from ours we've come at it with a western mindset and say well it says in the word like this you know like that in the Pentecostal church in the word but it's not what the word is saying we never know what he's going to be doing that's why we need to be led by the spirit if I'd have had an agenda here today I don't know where we would have been because he just had to go moment by moment asking him what he wanted to do how long I'm saying well look I'll cancel the afternoon session so there's always conversation going on no no no, give him to a quarter to three they're all busy So I'll deal with anything that's left. I'll look after all the loose things. Don't worry about it. So when we're led by the Spirit, we're resting in the nature of God himself, not what's happening around us. If you aspire to be a warrior in the Lord, you have to learn stillness. And you have to learn how to be at peace. Rest is a weapon against the enemy. If you are restful and peaceful in the heat of battle, you're not going to be moved because you're not going to be disturbed by activity. We learn not to be intimidated by the enemy, but fascinated with God. Focus. All depends on what you're looking at. Father, what are you doing behind all this? You might be smacked on the nose with the circumstance, but you almost want to push the circumstance aside so that you can see what he's doing. Or another way of doing it is getting God between you and your circumstance. He's so big you can't see your circumstance then when you get him between you and the problem. If you get the problem first, you can't see God because magnified up your nose then. Take time, step back. Learn to step back into your spirit. Just go back. It does not matter. If the people are waiting for an answer, let them wait. Nothing will be lost by being still for a moment. Warfare circumstances give you access to the enemy or God depending on your focus. And you'll hear me constantly using the same words, focus and alignment. They're absolutely key. If you don't get anything else out today, get those words in your thinking. Focus and alignment. Those of you who know me know that I look up de dictionary definitions of things as well as looking up Hebrew and Greek things to find out, but di dictionary definitions can be very good. This is um, a dictionary definition of the word focus. Centre, heart, focal point, hub, meeting point, spotlight, centre of attention, leading to concentrate, direct, converge, meet, come together, bring together, concentration, motivation, single-mindedness, Application, worth looking them up. And alignment, the arrangement of something in a straight line or an orderly position in relation to something else, like you to God. No good you being over there, he's, I'm the Lord, I change not, he's not going to move, so you've got to get yourself into alignment with him. The correct position or positioning of different components with respect to each other 
or something else so that they perform properly. It's good, isn't it? Get yourself in alignment, you'll perform properly. For everything that comes at you from the enemy, the opposite is coming to you from God. The enemy wants to discourage you, so where do you look? You look to God for encouragement, because he's going to move in the opposite spirit to the thing that is coming against you. The real issue in warfare or in any other situation in your life is not what the enemy is doing, it's what the Lord Jesus is doing. What is he doing in you and what is he doing through you? What does he want to be for you in this situation? We need to learn questions expecting answers because he's the God who sees and hears. Those of you who came to the recent school um, will remember Hagar at the well. At the well, the well of the God who sees me. And Ishmael, whose name means God hears. You're never out of earshot of God, believe me. You are never where he cannot see you either. One with God is always a majority. So perspective, position and petition, which we started with. In warfare, the absolute first base is where you stand before God. When you see something the way God sees it, your perspective is changed and that affects your position and the way in which you petition or pray. It's absolutely vital, therefore, that we ask questions when we come into situations and circumstances. And there are two principles God wants to set regarding spiritual warfare and winning the internal battle. And principle number one is the principle of absolute or optimum power. Optimum power never leaves the hands of God. He is always in control. If you doubt that, as I've said before, have a look at Job. God gives the enemy permission with limitation. Don't touch his life. He couldn't go beyond that. Comes back again. This time God says, okay, but you can't touch his life. Who's in control? Who, if you like, is causing Job's problems? Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, no, I didn't actually. Oh, looks like a good target to me. Can I have a bash in? Lost a lot, didn't it? Principle number two is the principle of growth or multiplication that occurs when we are under attack from the enemy. Warfare is there for you to take advantage and grow. It's not the time to go under and moan about your lot. If you have prophecies over your life, now is the time to hold it out to God. Lord, you said. So you come hard up against it, sickness strikes, suddenly, Lord, you said. The principle is that we stand in the problem, holding on to the promise, looking for the provision. So when you come into a problem, you look for the promise. You don't look for it thinking, right, I'm going to find myself a promise for provision in this. You wait for God's provision to come. Some five or six years ago, I was diagnosed with raised pressures in my eyes. If you know God at all, you'll know that the very area that frightens you most, he will allow the enemy to do something there in order to get rid of that fear. That is why he allows it. And that was something, my sight is something that is always, I've always been frightened of losing my sight. And I came home from this diagnosis, raised pressures, very high, can't have a walking around like that. I thought, okay, I've been taught well by Graham. Father, what's my word? What's my promise in this? And I waited three days before he actually told me it was he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also quicken your mortal body. Thank you, Father. I had absolute confidence because I waited for the promise. I could have searched for that scripture and found it on my own, but I wouldn't have known for sure whether it had been given me. But it was given to me. And so I've rested in that, even though I still have the problem. 
It's not as high as it was, but they're monitoring me still. I'm always saying, please, can I be discharged from this clinic? Lord, you know, all this business. Don't like clinics, don't like hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably had too much to do with them in the past. That's what it is, bless them. I mean, uh, the, I'm not knocking the nursing profession. They've saved my life twice. I've, it's just that I don't like the procedures. But promise. So you've got your problem. You ask for the promise, and then you look for your provision. Whatever is stretching your faith right now is there to do just that. It's there to stretch it. Without it, you'll never grow. We don't like it, but there it is. Psalm 4 says, Thou hast enlarged me while I was in distress. When did you get enlargement? In distress. You don't get enlarged at any other time than when you are clean up against it. That is the time when you get your enlargement. You can eyeball the circumstances and have a pity party, or you can realise that this is the greatest opportunity of your life to grow in God and get something that you could not get at any other time. God may be dealing with all the hidden things in your life, but it's the greatest time of your life because if you get through this, nothing will ever bother you again. You see, once he's taken us through that thing, it can't touch us again. But we have to go through it. A simple thing. I mean, this will sound weird to you. Those of you who know me know <laughs> this one that's been going on. Holiday with my son and his wife and their little one. Tried to have one a few years ago to Disneyland and I, I chickened out at the last minute, couldn't face it, so I didn't go. Up comes my 70th birthday, would I like to go away for a weekend? So I got carted off for the weekend. I was less than gracious. I couldn't wait for it to finish. Oh, I, I just, taken out of my little nest, I didn't like it. But little did I realise that I had got to go through this thing and until I liked it. <laughs> so I'm sitting there musing before the Lord a couple of weeks or three weeks or four weeks ago and I said, what I'd like, Lord, is I'd like some seaside. I said, but I want to be picked up and taken there and put there by the seaside. I don't want to have to drive to it. I can't stand the journey. I just want to be picked up and taken there. Translated. Translated. Thank you. <laughs> Next thing that happens is my son comes up to me and says, I don't want you to decide now, Mama. It's entirely up to you if you don't want to come, you don't have to come. But we're going to Spain in September for a weekend. And we'd like you to think about whether you'd like to come with us. I think. Picked up. Taken. Seaside. <laughs> So I pray about it, and Jesus goes. <laughs> so I pray about it. No, you can't. I'm winking and putting my thumb up for those of you listening. And the mouth. That is the whole thing. So I said, it's all right if I go then. Go if you want. I thought, wait a minute. I said, okay, Father, this time I'm going with a good attitude, all right? I'm going to enjoy this. It's going to be hot. I'm going to be carted off to places I don't want to go because from it being a four-day rest, it sounds like it's going to be a whistle-stop tour of Spain. By the sound of it. <laughs> up mountains, down to the beach, over there, up there, down there. I've got to be taken everywhere and shown it. <laughs> and then I remembered, it was like the Lord said, what were you like when you were a little girl? Well, if I've got anything I really, really liked, I wanted my mum to see it. And what I used to be always disappointed was that she wasn't excited like I was. I thought, better get excited. <laughs> going to go through it, so I'm going to be carted out to buy shorts. <laughs> I said, shorts, I don't need. You'll need shorts. Okay. I need shorts. I need a swimming costume. I need all these things. I seriously think. I don't need it. Yes, you're going to have those. So they're going to have a great deal of pleasure casting me around the shops now to, to buy me these bits and pieces. But I have made up my mind I'm going to enjoy this one. 
And now what's happened? From being, um, I think it was Thursday to Sunday, wasn't it, Joyce? Suddenly it's Wednesday to Sunday. And <laughs> And they're going out to Spain on the Thursday week before that. My son is coming back on the Tuesday and flying back to Spain with me on the way. I said, Lord, I'm in. Sort of picked up, taken to the seaside. I thought, honestly, Father, you know, I mean, it nearly broke my heart. I thought, you are so utterly amazing. All I said was, I'd like a little bit of seaside and I don't have to drive to it. <laughs> Careful how you brave. So I'm going to go through this with a brilliant smile and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to complain about the heat or the funny food or the grit. <laughs> Sand in the knickers of life. <laughs> One of our friends used to say that, didn't they? Nice grit in life's Vaseline. <laughs> oh, if you've ever had grit in Vaseline, you know you used to say Sand in the knickers of life. That was his other. You can't edit that, can you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting demob happy now, nearly at the end of it. <sighs> so, that was all about going through it, you see. And I suddenly realised, this is the third time I'm going through this this time. I'm, I'm not playing the Ducks and Drakes anymore. And wouldn't you know, my passport is just about inside the time it should be. It's up next April, and, and uh, that's apparently it's okay. It's got six months on it. So this whole thing starts when we're willing to face up to who we are and who we're not. And we throw ourselves on the grace and mercy of God and say, everything you need to do in me, please do it. My prayer, and I really mean it, I don't mess around with it, is deal with me severely and correct me ruthlessly. I do not want to be allowed a great long string so that God has to really jerk me back to the place. I want to know, I want to grow. So this is the time of your development and it's training. This is God getting you ready for something that's to come. And if you fail it, it probably means that you might not be able to join the fight when it happens or you may well find yourself a casualty. When you give everything up, God puts everything in. Warfare is a time to receive all that God has promised. Just understand that every problem comes complete with its provision. You can't have a problem that doesn't have the pr provision attached to it. It's like, a, it's like the label on something you're buying. You know, there's a coat or whatever and the ticket's on it. That ticket is your provision. You get, you, you, Kathy and I were speaking this morning and there's a little hiccup with things with her and someone's dropped out. You get used to it. Because it's part of your training. Okay, Father, got a problem. Where's your provision? And you just sit and wait for it. It will come. This is his. This is his vision. It's not ours. It's never ours. It's his. His gifts are his. Everything is his. So if we start trying to make ownership of it, that's where we get into problems. Stewardship, yes. Ownership, no. Hold it lightly, so that he can take out and put in whatever he wants to do. I mean, he's just said to, to, to me, to personally, to lay down, get rid of everything I've been doing for the last 15 or 20 years. So with great glee, I said, oh, yeah, whoopee, okay, fine, and suddenly realised that that's the main source of our income. That's where it all comes from, seeing people and then dropping a few bob in the pot. That's the income. And I thought, hooray. As June would say. <laughs> okay, Lord, thou knowest if you've got to change your direction, that's it. So he's got the other bit tied up. There's no problem that I am not spending time worrying about where that's coming from. It will come. It's his vision. If he wants to close it down, fine. I've got no vested interest. I'll go and grow raspberries or something. <laughs> very good. If someone had tried me, though, yes. I go and grow sprouts or something. So you can't have a problem that doesn't have provision attached to it. It comes like a label. So you have to stand in the problem, holding on to the promise and see the provision come to pass. That is faith. And it's not faith in faith. It's faith in a person. It's faith in who you know him to be for you. I amen that. 
That's basic. Basic. Can I have patience and can I have it now? That is basic. Basic faith training. I knew I wouldn't be able to say that. Now I'm going to have to first base in the faith race. Now how about that? Say that fast. First base in the faith race, if you like. God is for us, not against us, but he won't spare us because he didn't spare his own son and he's conforming us to the image of Jesus. His primary thing with us is to conform us to the image of Jesus. So multiplication, growth, comes in warfare circumstances. For every attack of the enemy, there's an equal and opposite revelation and experience of God's presence if we can train ourselves to see the hand of God in every situation then our peace and rest levels rise, which in themselves are, are instruments of warfare. So in all of this, God's using the enemy to do things, to do things. The first one is to pinpoint the next area in our life that needs his love and grace. That's number one. It's the enemy's job to expose sin and fear. That's why we never have to do it, he does it. And then the Holy Spirit comes in behind, because this is part of his job description. And the Bible says that each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lusts. That's James 1.14. And the purpose of temptation is to show us what's already there so that we can receive the goodness, the kindness, the grace of God to get these things dealt with. God's just taking the hooks of the enemy that are in our lives out and he's using the enemy to do it. I think that's brilliant. So ambition, idolatry, lust for power and control are being exposed, that's all right. It's God that's doing the exposing and he will deal with it wherever it surfaces. He allows in his infinite wisdom what he could so easily prevent by his almighty power. And Graham Cook says that the enemy is God's sheepdog, though he little understands it. It's really cool, isn't it? That is really cool. He is, he's his sheepdog, he just sends him out. So the second thing that God is using the enemy for is to demonstrate his power, his protection, his provision and his presence. Have a look at Exodus 3 for an example of this. Here's Moses, ordinary day, looking after the sheep when he sees the bush burning. Probably wished he'd never let his curiosity get the better of him, but he goes over and has a look and his life is about to change forever. He finds himself commissioned to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, no mean task for an old man with a stick and a stutter. And God outlines the plan and Moses finds himself caught up in the adventure of a lifetime. Just to make things really interesting, God tells him in advance that Pharaoh isn't going to cooperate. Thank you, Father, because God's going to harden his heart. But he also says something very interesting. You will be as God to Pharaoh. He's telling Mo that by the time he's finished with Pharaoh, the only way that Pharaoh will be able to understand what's happening is by concluding that Moses is a God. Because that's the level of power that he's going to give Moses to have over Pharaoh. See, I will make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron, your prophet. He wants Moses to see this, to see himself as God sees him. God's chosen leader and deliverer of Israel, a worker of signs and wonders to prove who is God around here. For us to get on the battlefield, we have to come to the place where we see ourselves as God sees us. So Moses goes to the elders of Israel and to Pharaoh and gets into all kinds of trouble assisted by the Lord who just to make it even more interesting, nips round the back of Pharaoh's throne, whispers in his ear and hardens his heart. This is why the battle for the flesh versus the spirit just has to be won. Unless you can see yourself as God sees you, you cannot go out there onto the battlefield. You have to know that the harder it gets, the more you go to growth and multiplication. You have to know that God enjoys a fight. He's a warrior king. In every situation, detach yourself. See it from God's perspective. This is training. Rejoice. Worship. The issue is definitely not the issue. The issue is what is God doing in and through the situation. 
God never calls us to do what we can do. He calls us to do the absolutely impossible. Only he can do it. When you get a call from God, it will frighten you silly because you know you can't do this thing. He calls you to do what's impossible, unrealistic and outrageous. And if it's him, you'll always find that it's a God-sized commission, only he can do it. The purpose for this is that you absolutely have to be totally dependent on him. You cannot do it any other way. He calls you because you can't do it. So the critical thing in your life is not doing the ministry, it's living in the presence of God. So let's just look quickly at some of the enemy's strategies. There are three, penetration, demoralisation and subversion. He's got these three strategies against us. The first one is penetration. The goal of the enemy is to ruin every single relationship that you have. There is an implacable hatred in his heart for every relationship you have and enjoy. He loathes it. He is totally and completely and utterly devoted to the destruction of every single relationship around your life. There's no exceptions. If you are married, he hates your marriage with a perfect hatred. He has your marriage in utter and absolute contempt. Any ounce of distraction, any misunderstanding, any argument, any separation, anything you can do, doesn't matter if it gets healed in a week, he'll still want you to have a week of misery where things are tense and difficult, where you're fighting each other. Any single thing you can do to spoil something between you and your spouse, he is totally committed to. Any ounce of selfishness in you, he will use against your husband or wife. Please do not underestimate the hatred he has of family life. He is totally devoted to the ruination of the lives of your children, your family and your friends. Hates friendships. Hates it when people love one another. Any expression of love or gentleness is against it. It's the absolute antithesis, the direct opposite of everything God is. Any expression of kindness and mercy is against it. Is infiltrating your home, your relationships, your families, your place of work. Anything he can do to make your place of work horrible, untenable for you, he'll do it. Anything he can do to make your life unhappy, miserable, he takes pleasure in that. Those are the things he loves. He loves hatred. He loves bitterness. He loves resentment. He loves unforgiveness. He loves offence. He loves mistrust. He loves misunderstanding. He loves rejection, he loves division, he loves strife, he loves hurt, he loves pain. All those things and more, he loves with a passionate love. Anything that is destructive, anything that is ruinous, he revels in it, laughs over it. He loves to see lives broken. His favourite place to hang out is the divorce court. He loves those places. Any place where man is ruined. The poor places of town. He walks those streets. Graham Cook says that's his cathedral. That's where he feels at home. Any place where there is ruin and decay and the stench of death, he adores it. Was any of that a surprise to you? Did you realise that that was his game plan? It's an implacable enemy that you and I are facing. And you are loved with a perfect love by the King of Heaven. And you are hated with an utter and contemptible hatred by Satan. Is it any wonder that God doesn't want us living in that place where we are more aligned with the enemy's agenda than his? Can you see why it's so important we keep short accounts, keep ourselves free from bitterness, hatred and unforgiveness? Beloved, these aren't like things, they're life and death. Can you see why it's so important that you understand every act of kindness is warfare? Every time you don't retaliate, it's warfare. Every time you love your wife, your husband, your kids, it's warfare. Every time you get to work on time, do a good day's work, it's warfare. Every time you drive within the speed limits, it's warfare. 
anything. You're breaking the law, you see. If he can get you to do that. You may not agree with the rule, the laws of the country, I don't, but you have to live within them. Uh, and so if he can get you to break the laws of the country, you're in alignment with him. Anything he can do, this is ground level stuff, isn't it? To penetrate your relationships and friendships he will do. He loves to see you friendless and alone, he loves loneliness. Anything he can do to manipulate the weak areas in our relationships, exploit our friendships. Graham Cook says, maybe there are points in hell for any demon who can separate best friends and split up marriages. And those who can split churches, he said, well, that's a month in Vegas. <laughs> in church life, the favourite target is always the leadership. Simple strategy, get the head, you've got the body. So anybody in the church who's got any kind of rebellion or criticism, and especially accusation, that's his favourite pastime, he will use to stir up division and split the church. Paul had the same problem with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 4. So the second strategy is demoralisation. There's a softening up process going on all the time. There's an attack on your morale. Anything to produce disillusionment. That's why if he gets between relationships, we feel hurt, we feel wounded, we get offended, we are meat for him. Sometimes getting healed is just a question of the will, not the emotions. Sometimes we're looking to get healed and we're looking for some kind of emotional feeling. Sometimes healing is just an act of the will. It's you making a choice. You will forgive and you will forget and you will move on. And it's sometimes as simple as that. Sometimes when we get hurt, we make unconscious vows. I'll never do that again. I'll never trust myself to anyone again. Defending ourselves against others. That's a hiding place. It's like having a closet in your house with your own personal demon on the inside. These things are hiding places for the enemy and we need to get wise to his strategies. It's like we let him win both ways. He wounds us in the first place and then he makes sure the wound is open, it's sore and it's running because his aim is to cripple you and keep you out of the race. We need to wise up as the Americans say. We are being taken for a ride spiritually. Don't let the enemy knock you out of the race. Here's a little poem. There was a young lady from Niger who smiled as she rode on a tiger. They came back from the ride, the young lady inside, and the smile on the face of the tiger. How long are you going to be lunch for him? God wants us to walk before him in faith and power. The enemy wants to prevent that by making you feel as feeble as possible. By subduing your prayer life, because after all, God won't hear my prayers, they're tucking me open things, are not they? Breaking your spiritual dependency on God, getting your focus on performance, not on acceptance, and 101 other things. The truth is that with God, when you do well, he approves of you, and when you do badly, he accepts you. He's never angry with you. He's always encouraging you, always loving you. The enemy loves to get you concentrating on performance. I'm not praying enough. How much is enough? 25 hours a day, is that enough? I'm not reading my Bible enough. How much is enough? Anything to bring depression and dejection and working for it. Anything to get you measuring yourself, which incidentally you can't do. He always makes you imagine the worst. Something happens and the first thing we do is imagine the worst scenario. Anything to convince you that things are too bad to change. That's one of his favourite ploys. This relationship's too bad, you better move on. Ditch this one. House group, church, go somewhere else. And then we start panicking. We're anxious, we're fearful, and we've got to reclaim that ground in order to pray a prayer of faith. We've slipped back, so he's delayed you yet again. It's not difficult to see the strategy, is it? Get them fearful, get them unbelieving, get them worried, and then leave them and go on to the next sucker, as Graham Cook would say. I looked up the word sucker. The de definition of a sucker is somebody who is easily fooled, 
somebody who has little resistance to and is easily influenced by something or someone. Okay, anyone? So the third strategy is subversion. In this area of being subverted, we almost come like unconscious resistors. We're a drag on the work. We're a drain on other people's faith and resources. Because when we could be fighting this thing ourselves, we're drawing on other people and drawing them into our life, which is okay if we're really in trouble. But sometimes it's just a pattern of behaviour. Dumping on someone, which makes you feel better, but demoralises them. The whole point of church life is that we teach each other the discipline of how to stand before God. That is body ministry. The body is ministering to itself, being accountable to each other, pulling each other up and saying, in love, you've got to stop that, sweetheart, and grow up. Leadership and the fivefold gifting are not here to do the ministry. They're here to help you find your way before God so that you can hear God for yourself and teach other people to do it. That's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Pastoral ministry always pushes people back onto God. When I'm talking in my discipleship group with people that I'm mentoring, when they say, I don't know what God's saying about this, I say, okay then, let's pray and God will speak to you. Sometimes they want to come and get a shortcut they want me to tell them and hear for them. No way am I going to do that. I'm here to teach you to hear God for yourself. I'm not going to stand between you and God. That's not my job. I'm going to push you back onto Him. In pastoral ministry, we push people back onto their relationship with God. What's God saying to you about this? Do you think He's happy with what you're doing right now? I'll pray for you and you'll hear. And we'll speak tomorrow and you can tell me what He said always doing that. You go away and pray and you come back and tell me what he said. People start hearing God for themselves. If they hear from me, they can ignore it. If they hear from God, they might not be so silly. It's so easy to become indifferent, to be unconcerned about where we are spiritually. You end up being aimless, impassive, unresponsive, sluggish, lukewarm, got no vision, listless, Blaming everybody else for where you are, particularly maybe your church fellowship. You look up, it's Saturday evening, you haven't had a meaningful conversation with Jesus all week long. Somewhere you have been subverted. You're not bothered about God, the enemy or the church. It's a small step from being an unconscious resistor to being a conscious objector. You then begin to challenge negatively. And you're cynical about everything because of what you perceive are your own disappointments. There is a murmuring, a complaining that rises up, like Israel with Moses, and then there's negative fellowship, which means that you seek out other people and you can join together with them in criticism, grumbling and complaining. God. That was wise, God's that, creatures. Yeah, so they're one of God's creatures now as well. <laughs> I'll get them before they get me. My principle there, get you. When we get to that place, I just caught a fly, by the way, on the, uh, a very small one, on the CD, but I've got it after about four goes. <laughs> when we get to the place where we openly oppose the things that God does want to do, because we can't be bothered to get involved, we think if just pull that thing down and stop, we can preserve what we've got. Then you get an Aaron and Moses, Miriam situation that with Moses. Well, God doesn't only speak through Moses, you know, and that costs her a week outside the camp with leprosy. Remember that? It's that step. You've been penetrated. You've become demoralised. You're now subverted and you're a conscious objector. And now a divisive spirit can actually get hold of you and work through your life, which is the real point the enemy loves to bring you to to a point where he can bring some of these big guns in and occupy all that space that's unoccupied by the Holy Spirit. Regaining and holding your inner territory. Get that victory and occupy. Always two battles. One to get free, one to stay free. You get your victory, then you're going to occupy. You can't let it slip once you've got the victory. In fact, you've got more of a battle to stay free than you have to get free. 
if you've got a demonic infiltration, it's always easier to get rid of a demonic thing and that doesn't take a minute. But the standing in that against what tries to get back in again will take you, that'll get your muscles going. Disunity attracts the demonic. Unity attracts the Holy Spirit. If you're not actively contributing to the unity of your fellowship or your church, you're contributing, even if it is by default, to this unity. Because if you're not active, then you're passive and the enemy can still work. Of course, you can be active in terms of working with the enemy, God forbid. I mean, that's always possible. So, simple mathematics. There are four types of people, I'll finish with this, in the body. Those who by their faith and their relationship with God add something to you. Those who multiply something to you because of their relationship with God. Those who are always taking something and those who are divisive. Adding, multiplying, subtracting or dividing. All different attitudes in the body. Where are you in the range? I want to be a multiplier because I want to see everyone grow and I want to see you grow more than me. I care more about you than I care about me and I love the Lord and I want to see things happen and I'm very happy to see you grow at my expense. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. So penetration, demoralisation and subversion are just three of the enemy's strategies against us. And just a quick look, like a taster for where we're going, at the qualities of a spiritual warrior, a different breed indeed. I think that um, on this piece of paper you'll see that the part two of spiritual warfare is actually in September, uh, 27th of September, and all gave me that date this morning. But this will just be part two. Every Christian is called to be a soldier in the army of God. Soldiers are called to counter evil with the overwhelming, overcoming good that flows from the heart in love with God. No matter what situation a Christian soldier is in, they must live from their spirit. Soldiers bless everyone around them and contribute to a positive spiritual atmosphere. I've just quoted Graham Cook. Spiritual warriors are a completely different breed. They have a different role. They are committed to God no matter what. They settled the issue of lordship a long time ago. They're on special assignment, charged with specific God-led initiatives against the enemy. They're the spiritual SAS, going out against the enemy in advance of the main body of the church, taking ground and holding it. Warriors are marked by their renewed minds. They live in the spirit, giving no place to the flesh. They're not reactors. They're respondents. They do not react to their circumstances. They respond to God. Marked by their renewed minds, they live in the spirit, giving no place to the flesh. They are not reactors, they're responders. They do not react to their circumstances. They respond to God. For them, everything is an opportunity to learn, grow and increase. They won the internal battle a long time ago. They're not looking for rescue. They do not love their lives unto the death. Their motto is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. A phrase coined by Smith Wigglesworth, I believe. Warriors cannot be intimidated by the enemy. They're too busy being fascinated by Jesus. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you are, towards God and for God is an automatic act of aggression against the enemy. That, beloved, is spiritual warfare. Welcome to boot camp. <laughs> so let's just have a little prayer and then I'll, I'll let Joyce make your cup of tea. Father, thank you. Father, I pray that just in the ordinary stuff of everyday life, as we live for you, we're conscious of you. Let us know that in all those things, everything we do in your direction is a slap in the face for the enemy. Everything we do for you is an act of aggression against his kingdom.
Father, would you make us think about everything around our life? Every person, every place where we go, every place we frequent. Would you help us to invade that space with a different morality, a different perspective, with praise in our hearts, with joy in our hearts, with a word of appreciation on our lips. Help us to notice people round and about us. Help us to pray. Help us to be full of integrity. Help us, Lord, to be honest. Help us to be filled with the fruit of your Spirit. That what pours out of us everywhere we go is the life of Christ. And I pray that that will mean people's lives are getting touched everywhere around us. That we will live, Father, doing spontaneous acts of aggression against the enemy just by living, just by breathing. That he's going to be fearful of everything and everywhere we go because we're going to breathe out Christ, we're going to breathe out the kingdom, we're going to bless, we're going to anoint, we're going to live, we're going to speak, we're going to pray, we're going to be, we're going to do. All of those things done in your name is an act of war. Would you raise the level of conscious warfare in our hearts just in those simple things so that we will overcome evil with good, with the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening and may God richly bless you and open your spiritual eyes to the battle that is around us. God bless you. Thank you.